Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Kia ora everyone and welcome along to Seeds Podcast. I'm really glad you could join me as we're going to be speaking with Elle Archer. Now this is a fascinating conversation because we literally go everywhere. We talk about her early childhood, her adoption, her growing up, and what are the influences that have shaped her into who she is today. And we really focus in on Ako Otatahi Learning City Christchurch, which is a festival celebrating learning in its many forms. Make sure to check it out. There's a link in the show notes. This is one of those deep conversations that I know you're going to enjoy. If you do, then don't forget, there's more than 250 other episodes in the back catalog, so you might want to check out some of those as well. Seeds is a project to try to tell stories of people so that we can learn from each other, because every life has something to teach. There's also more info at theseeds.nz. Now let's get into this conversation with Elle. All right, so it's a real pleasure to welcome Elle Archer to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Stephen. Tēnā rā katoa. Uh, ko El Archer, uh, um, and Tina Timahi, Stephen, for having me on this podcast. I've been looking forward to it. I know we're going to have a great conversation because you are involved in a number of different things. And so I actually don't know which way exactly our conversation will go, but that's the best type because it really is a chance to get to know each other and to hear about some of the things that you've been involved in. Um, in particular, I'm really curious about um, Learning Cities Christchurch and mm. some of the initiatives that are going on there because um, at the time of recording this, it's still coming in the future. So we'll definitely talk about that. Brilliant. Um, but if we could go back in time and just... Just tell us a bit about your background. Like, I'm thinking when you were four or five years old, where were you living and what was it like? Well, I was born in Waihi and I was raised in a little town called Tokoro, otherwise known as the 886. Uh, my, I was adopted, I was a whangai baby at nine days old, two amazing Māori parents. I also come from Māori heritage as well. Mm-hmm. And it was the most empowering and cultivating childhood in Tokoroa. It wasn't about you're a girl or a boy or uh, what you couldn't do. It was always about go do it. So I come from really positive messaging. My mother put a book in my hand since I could even contemplate that it was a book. Mm. <laughs> Uh, and she taught me how to teach myself. Mm. She taught me how to digest information and that it was only a, a reach away. Mm. And my father put a hammer in my hands or a screwdriver in my hands and he said, go do it, go build it. Mm. So my messaging has been learning and doing and that is what I have have done my whole life hmm. throughout my career in my uh, my professional life and my personal life mm-hmm. learning doing hmm. so I'm a big fan of of that and it it was an amazing as a child uh, reading all sorts of books and being able to understand and ingest or digest um, lots of concepts and ideas. And so as I moved uh, my childhood reading, I was the kid underneath the blankets with the the torch. Um, when mum used to tell me to go to bed, I'd put my head under, put the torch on and, and <laughs> read my books. That was that was a kid. That was a kid I was. And I am that kid today mm. as well. Mm. Mm. So what had shaped your parents to be like that, do you think? What was it that they wanted to pass on to you? You know, the love of... Reading, for example. Knowledge. They wanted to be able to empower me through knowledge. It, it came from a place, they, they come from disempowerment in their childhoods. They didn't have the options that... They want that that I had. They wanted to ensure that I was, I understood how to create my own pathway. 
And because of that, I have done a lot of creating mm. of my own pathway. Mm. It's really important, though, to trace it back to their influence, I think. You yes. know, the, the fact that somebody, in a way, believes in you and empowers you to then go on and do things, right? A- absolutely. As I look back through our genealogy, through our whakapapa, mm-hmm. and I look back to um, to our tūpuna on, on, on both their sides, there, there was empowerment through disenfranchisement all through that line. And as I look back now, I've now connected with my nako, with my nakoho, with my um, uh, with my blood relatives, and I now uh, explore my whakapapa. Mm-hmm. I see similar veins moving through that as well. Mm-hmm. And so that that is a really fantastic understanding of history for me and that drives me and my approach and my roles within governance, within my consultancy, within it drives my purpose mm-hmm. to fulfill a, a, a meaning that is not about me, mm-hmm. that is about we, and it is about the next generation and the legacy uh, that is either beside me at the moment or, or coming right mm-hmm. behind me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's an important to understand that correlation between our whakapapa mm-hmm. and our legacy. Mm-hmm. It's one of the themes that comes out on the podcast quite often, partly yeah. because the people that I'm talking to yeah. have thought about these things. So it's really nice to hear that. One of the um, whakatoki that I really love and, and appreciate is just looking... Um, walking into the future backwards, mm. you know, the, the concept that, that it isn't just, you know, because from a Western perspective, sometimes we're too focused on the future is coming and we don't look back to our tipuna and, and think about the past. Um, mm. Yeah, any thoughts on that? And, and our historical, those, those markers, mm. historical markers, we don't look at that. We don't, we don't tend to um, see the patterns or the trends mm. in, in our historical markers. Mm-hmm. That'll aid us in hopefully making uh, more informed decisions mm-hmm. moving forward. Mm-hmm. But I, I completely agree with you. We, we don't look back enough to aid us in, in helping us inform those forward movement mm-hmm. and progressive decisions, which is what, what, that is uh, actually one of the basis of my PhD is, is this uh, impact-led decision-making. Okay. Ah, interesting. Mm. Well, let's put a little placeholder. We'll come mm. back and talk about that a little bit further on, because I am just curious to explore a bit more of your childhood. So um, that sounds like an amazing environment to be growing up in, in terms of what your parents were giving to you. Mm. Um, talk to us through, you know, like when you're, say, 10 or 11 years old, what sort of things did you enjoy at, at that time of life? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was a kid that Climbed trees, played bull rush with the boys mm-hmm. and girls. I was the inquisitive kid that wanted to know about everything, but would always zoom out to bigger picture philosophical questions mm-hmm. that would sometimes, my mum and dad would, would scratch their head a, a wee bit with some of the questions that I'd be asking because how do you answer the meaning of life questions? Mm. I was always that zoom out kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hi- hyperactive, inquisitive, leading the neighbourhood kids around mm. whatever we were doing. Okay, let's do this, let's do that. I was that kid, but very much a kid that was always on the side of the underdog, that was aware of where we, we come from the lower decile situation and lower socioeconomic, even at, at, that, at that age, mm. I was aware of that. Mm. And self-aware of whatever role I was in, I was self-aware at that early age, at 10, that there was bigger things here 
that I needed to understand. Mm. Hence the reason why I was always asking mum and dad, what, is, what does it all mean? What's, what's the reason for us? Mm. What are we moving towards? And, and as an adult, I know we, we're talking about my childhood. There's a correlation between us as children to how we've, mm. we've moved on. And I carry that with me today, mm. always asking, where are we going? What's the big unifying direction, mm-hmm. perhaps for us as society? And yeah, that was very prevalent mm. back then as a child. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It sounds like curious would be a good word to describe oh, yeah. you, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <very laughs> Which is curious. a word that I love. Um, oftentimes in this podcast, I'll say, I'm just curious, and then I'll ask the question because I'm trying to model the um, curiosity as a good thing because that's what unlocks you to an answer that you didn't expect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So I get the sense that today um, you've woven in some of your heritage to al Maori. Was that a part of your childhood as well? Was that a big part going to the marae or, or was that something that came later? On and off. Uh, my parents, their parents before them, the real our language was, was beaten out of them. This is not a new story. A lot yeah. of people know this now. Mm. Uh, and the same goes for my parents. There was there are things that happened that made them not want to have a lot to do with with our Maori culture. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I came along and they adopted me that they realised we hey, no, this it's not fair. So they put me in Kohanga, which is a very informative age. So I started kohanga at two and two, to, uh, two to five. I was mm. in kohanga mm. before I went to kindergarten. Then moving through into primary school, I then uh, moved into um, te reo units uh, in what was tiny little modules of kurakaupapa back then. Mm-hmm. And then fell away, went through kapahaka but fell away. Mm-hmm. But was, what was really great about that was that a lot of my pronunciation, my Māori pronunciation, even though I wasn't fluent in te reo, the pronunciation came back as I started to get more involved mm-hmm. in, in Maturanga Māori, Te Ao Māori, mm-hmm. Kaupapa Māori as I aged up. Mm-hmm. So that's that formative part that I think is really mm-hmm. important. You know, you get your, your te and your, and your, your ahs and, you know, you get that at that age. I think that was that was great. Mm. And so, through this journey, my whanau, mum, dad, and I, we then went and sat uh, level two at Te Wānanga Aotearoa, mm. and then moved through that way, and then started speaking together. Even though mum was fluent, she'd let the let the real go when she was a an adult, but but they were speaking fluently in their younger years. So mm. it came back to her. Her reo came back. But she calls the the, the reo that I'm learning now flash Māori <laughs> in, in respect to her Māori uh, mm. that, that she had in her hapu and her iwi right. in Matarawa and, and Kākohe. Right. It's Napuhi, yeah. Yeah. So very interesting. Are yeah. you learning that flash Māori? But, but, um, <laughs> but for me, reo is reo and... Now that I am moving and, and spending time in my hapu, mm. I will pick up that and, and move mm. through because it's a journey. Yeah. The language yeah. is a dirt journey. Yeah. 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 And in a way, it's a door to understanding of so much, isn't it? Yeah. Like the, just the depth of expression of certain words yeah. that have way more meaning and and mm. implicate you know like in english we might say family mm. that's my family mm. but then if you think of whanau and it's like a much bigger conception that's a conceptual way of thinking isn't it, it that absolutely you can't sort of reduce it to a word a grammatical phrase yeah. in the same way hence the the phrase well multi world view mm. because there is it's multi-dimensional conceptual thinking exactly exactly what you said yeah and that's this is a journey that i've been on and i will continue to be on Mm. for the rest of my life Mm. oh that's really great so can you just talk through you're in high school now we're we're moving slowly through here high school um yeah what what was high school like did you know 
did you know that you wanted to do further study? Did you, were you into the outdoors, sports? What, what was it that really, yeah, gave you energy in life at that time? Pre-high school, I was a salesperson. I started selling lollies, right? And I was the one that walked kilometers just to sell these lollies. And I wanted to sell the most lollies. I didn't know why. It was just mm. something that I did, so sales and marketing. So in high school, I moved through. In my learning, I would, and this, this eventuated, this has been since I was very small. In subjects like maths, I would find the answer and not be able to give you the, the, the reasoning of how I got to that point. Mm-hmm. That followed me into high school. So fairly good academic thought process, quite an intelligent young lady, but I had problems with that long division type, you know, proving Mm -hmm. how I came to that solution. And so high school started to bore me. I started to wag school to go to work. And this is why I have been working in, for 25 years and I am only 40 years of age because I started quite early on. Mm-hmm. My parents, looking back on it now over years of reflection and caught it all with mum and dad, the best thing that they did and they believe so now too is to sign me out of school at an early age. Mm. The thought process was then and the messaging that I got from both my parents was, if you move into this space, ensure that whatever you are passionate about in regards to learning, you learn. Use your public libraries. You know those things that we used to use all the time. Well, I was a big public library person. Mm. Anything I wanted to know, I would go down. I've always had my library card. It's <laughs> it's 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 what mother mum show uh, impressed upon me. Mm-hmm. And so I worked, and whatever I was passionate about, I learnt. Hmm. And over the years, my undergrad degree was done that way as well, mm-hmm. um, was done whilst I was, was completed whilst I was running a business. All the learnings and all the subsequent trade suits, all those learnings have been done on hmm. the job. Hmm. So hence learning and doing yeah. at the same time. Yeah, well, I can tell there's a theme that's coming through yeah. already. <laughs> and when you left high school, how old were you then? The age was 14. Wow, so and very young. Very, very young. Yeah, I'm just thinking of my daughter who's 13 now, yeah. turning 14. Yeah. yeah. And, and, so and that's you... also when I left home. Oh, wow. They, I... they, the thought process was... We'll charge you rent. Mm-hmm. This is you're going to pay some sort of rent, mm-hmm. and I just said, "Well, if I'm paying rent, I'll pay more, and I'll go." And that wasn't because of my adoption. We're very independent. I've met a lot of adoptive kids now, mm-hmm. a lot of Fangai kids now, uh, now adults, and there's a degree of independence in all of us. Mm. And it wasn't because the home life was bad. It was just, mm. we're good. We can, mm. and there's, there's strength in that. Mm. There's dumbassery in it as well. <laughs> but but there, is, there is strength that's built out of, out of those, that time. Mm. Mm. And when you were that young age or around then, were you starting to, ask questions about where am I from or that been right from the beginning? Right from the beginning. Right. Uh, Both my parents had informed me of my adoption Mm -hmm. as soon as I was able to wrap my head around the idea. Right. So that was never a a secret. Mm -hmm. Although a closed adoption, it was, they let me know and they they were always encouraging Mm -hmm. We can take you back at any time, bub, da-da-da. Mm-hmm. 
But as a child, you don't want to disrespect that. You're my mum and dad. Mm. I heard that a lot of people say, who was your real mum and dad? Mm. And I remember as a child turning around and saying, my mum and dad are my mum and dad. Mm. So now it's been many years and there are things that you go through. There's identity issues. Mm. There's, there's so many things that, that, that after meeting a lot of adoptive kids, there's two pathways mm. One's a not not a great pathway, and one is a, a fairly successful one, whatever you, whatever we conceptualise success to be. But um, I've never seen the adoptive kids in the middle, mm. and it's been very interesting speaking with them and mm. yeah, mm. seeing the the similarities in our journeys as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So you get to 13 or 14, and yeah, where did you move to? Where were you working? <laughs> my first, I'd say my first real job was in a place called um, Papakura Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was working anywhere from 40 to 80 hours a week. Hmm. And I've done that pretty much my whole life. But uh, it was in Manirewa. I was living in... Takanini and then Manirewa in South Auckland. Mm-hmm. Mum and Dad decided to move me from Tukuro to to Auckland. They didn't see many options for me in Tukuro at that time. They didn't know that I would uh, leave school to go to work, of course, but that's where I was, and I spent that my teenage years working full-time and in South Auckland, mm. uh, surrounded by a lot of... Māori and Pacifica um, communities, thinking, uh, and influences. Mm. 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 Working. <laughs> and what did you learn through those years? What were you learning from the people around you? Because that's, you know, frankly, 13 is pretty young, isn't it, to be out living on your own, working and, yeah. It's, it was about 14 that I, that I actually moved out, but 13, yes, working. Yeah. To, to be honest, Mum and Dad had tabs on me where I, wherever I was. It wasn't a I was I was flatting, but they knew where they I knew was. Where you lived, yeah. <laughs> they were visiting all the time. Uh-huh. You know, it wasn't they've they've taken hands off me now. No, they've they've had my back this whole time. Yeah. Hence the reason why they are they live uh, with my husband and I on our property as mm-hmm. well. It's a fun no thing. Mm-hmm. Which is where we're recording this as well. So we are. Thank you for letting me come and and see your. Your house here. It's no, lovely. No, not a, not a problem. I, yeah, so they're here. But yeah. So, what were some of the things that you were learning at that time as a teenager? So many things. I was learning. I was starting to understand the value of mentors outside of my, outside of my whānau, mm-hmm. outside of uncles or aunties or mum and dad. It was I was understanding the value of mentors and understanding the bad ones. And the good ones, mm. and gravitating towards the good ones. It is something that I mentorship is one of the most valuable things that I've had in my life, mm. and it started all the way back then. And mum, mum and dad, especially my father, handed me over to a mentor in Papa Kura Pizza Hut, Woody. All the way back then, I know he would. He would be cool with me mentioning his name. Um, but the other thing I was learning back then was that it wasn't easy. That bills to be paid at that age, thinking about phone bills and power bills. Mm. And there was no cell phones back then, obviously. But having to deal with the fact that, oh, this is me. I am going to earn money, and what I earn here will aid me in what I'm going to do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that was, of course, at that age, one of the biggest lessons. Mm-hmm. But once again, mum and dad kept coming through, and mum would drop little, hey, you're getting to the library? You're so passionate about business. You should read this business book. Mm. Just little bits of of kai mm. feed mm-hmm. 
so I was fed that kai by my parents this whole time. Mm-hmm. I'll go back to the library, go learn. Mm. Are you interested in that? I think you should go uh, get a guitar book out. So hmm. at that time, yeah. I love the way that you talk about them as well, just the the encouragement that they clearly gave to you. Yeah. You know, as a parent myself with young kids, it's hard work. You know, like it, <laughs> it can be hard work in the sense of there's always something happening. But to have that bigger vision to encourage your child, hey, I see that you've got a talent for guitar or you really love basketball or whatever it is. And like, yeah. go for it. Keep going. Because, um, yeah, it, it can be too easy just to keep going along and not be that encouraging, you know, go for it. A hundred percent. I remember as a child, I want to learn how to play the drums. Okay, I want to learn how to play the trumpet. So they would empower me. They would say, yes, we'll take you to gymnastics. We'll give you the trumpet. We'll do this. But here's your your rules. Mm-hmm. If you take up the trumpet, you were going to learn it for six months. No complaining about if you get to three months and it's boring, boring for you. Mm. You were going to. So they always gave me a commitment timeline. Mm-hmm. And when I look at my mahi and I look at my work, there was always timelines in my work. Mm. I would know when the lessons that mum and dad gave me in in being in them enabling me to learn what I wanted those lessons of timelines and thinking about what I was learning, how I was learning it and why I was learning it mm-hmm. and what it would, what those lessons would eventuate in becoming for me. That is a framework that I was given at a really young age. Mm. Why and what will I do with this learning? And I think that is a big driver in the way I feel and think about learning today. Mm-hmm. Not only for myself, but for our communities, for the future of work, for the future of humanity in general. Why are we learning? How are we learning? For what purpose mm. are we learning these things? And are we learning the right things mm. in general? Mm. Yeah, well, it's definitely a theme of this, you know, education, lifelong learning, lifelong, and, yeah. and and then what does it mean for us in our lives today? Mm. So talk us through the next couple of years, because I'm keen to find out about some of the things that you're involved in today. So mm. I have a feeling that there's many paths that <laughs> there was, yeah, there's many, but maybe <laughs> just talk us through some of the key things that happened over the over the years and how you know you're here in Christchurch now how did you end up here and yeah take us through to run you through a very quick 25 years basically I was a a baby boss as I moved through jobs I'd move up the ranks I always wanted to understand why people were making the decisions and why I wasn't part of of making those decisions mm. as well. So very much always worked my way up from the bottom up, mm. washing dishes all the way through. I then moved into C-suite. I'm really jumping ahead here, but moved into C-suite, uh, into management, into executive positions in various spaces. Mm-hmm but primarily found myself through uh, my STEM education in the geospatial technology. Mm. That There's a very big leap that we find ourselves here now. That in that space, there were so many opportunities and I, and I was able to travel the world, meet with inventors and manufacturers, amazing thinkers, who were not only involved in designing the technologies, 
but we're also involved in thinking about what they would be used for. Mm-hmm. And so concepts like artificial intelligence, mixed reality, all these sorts of things, smart cities, smart societies, was a huge part of my life for a very long time. And finding my way through that was was very interesting. And why the technology, though? That's cool, so we can do that. Mm-hmm. It's designed by this person with these biases and all these sorts of things. Okay, because we can do it, but why are we doing it, once mm-hmm. again? Mm-hmm. Move through, and this was all... I was operating, I believe, in it was Auckland. It was my journey from there. There was Auckland, came down to the Tron, so to Hamilton, Mm -hmm. then to Wellington, and then moved down to Ōtautahi back Mm. in 2010 Mm. to start up the South Island operations of our geospatial technology company, Mm. which I was about to become a partner in. Mm. When I found my way down here, I found my husband, who is my best friend and is amazing, as a learner, as a tradie, as an all-round general choice fella. And then I found this region, and I grew aroha for it. Mm. There was love for the region. And then we had an earthquake. And then I felt a part of this region much more because of the earthquake, because we rode through it together, we fell down together, and we stood up together. Mm. And we moved forward and sideways and backwards and many other directions together during that 10 years. Mm. As a learner in Ōtautahi, I have completed my trade certs here, my undergrad here. I have also completed multiple micro-credentials in STEM whilst here. Mm-hmm. So a lot of learning has been done in this region, mm. for this region mm. and by this region. <laughs> so as I bring us up to wherever we are, the last five years or so, three to five years. In 2011, 2010 actually, but we'll say 2011, I started to get involved in governance. And what was great about that was that it was organic for me Governance and the thinking of governance is natural because I've always been a big thinker, a big picture thinker. And going through that journey, I got involved in multiple spaces in community, varying community initiatives around Ōtautahi, but also nationally, Mm -hmm. some national initiatives, um, as well as my infrastructure work. We just went completely past the infrastructure work, but that's Ketepai, we'll leave that there. And one of the areas that I really started to get involved in actually through infrastructure was um, cross-pollinating skills. Um, So when there is no more use for people on the shovels, where did they go? Mm -hmm. And what skills do they need to move them through into other spaces? Mm -hmm. And so started to design little micro-credentials for back then uh, the, the trade uh, sector that subsector that I was working in, which I'm now president of, of that particular association. And through that, I, and through the geospatial technology, I was conducting training of how to use the tech on site mm-hmm. for engineers, surveyors, and non-destructive testing uh, practitioners. And I started to understand that we, in a few years, and this is a few years ago, that we will have severe skills shortages. And I wanted to aid in that space. 
and the more digging that I did into the future of learning, I realized that the system is completely outdated for what is required. Mm. And so started researching learning in general Mm -hmm. and started to get involved in learning discussions and learning communities and learning groups. Started to understand from a Māori perspective that a lot of our, our learning, especially in te reo, is done and actually led by whānau, by doing. Mm. They would say a word, manaki, wairua, paiana. They would say these words. They weren't saying to their children or their tamariki, I'm going to teach you this now. <laughs> they were literally teaching mm. without understanding that, that they were. So when I think of learning, and I think of now being part of Ako Totahi Learning Cities Christchurch, and the mahi that we're doing and the projects and initiatives that we're doing and digital equity and, and lots of other spaces, I think of why we're doing it. And I think the reason why we're doing it is that we understand that learning is not just about learning in schools. It's not just about, um, you know, what is the structure? It's not just about the outcomes. Mm. It, it's, it's about the fact, it's an engagement message of learning is accessible to everybody. We as humans are natural explorers. We have been exploring our whole lives. We will continue to explore. And the reason why we want to explore is we want to, to gain new information, new knowledge. So learning is for all, and it's by all, for, and, and, and we're able to learn anywhere Mm. and I know you said before lifelong learning and I think we're all having those discussions Mm. in that space that we are lifelong learners but a lot of people in our communities are not thinking this way they they do not understand this and how it enriches them so we need to be part of those community conversations more. And it does start with our whānau. And then us as ambassadors moving into our communities and, and with our whānau, mm. having those intergenerational discussions with them in regards to learning mm. and ensuring that that learning and doing, um, we don't shy away from it. Mm. And I get the sense as well um, that this idea of access and that learning should be open to everybody, that's a really key theme, isn't it, of Mm. what you're doing, particularly with the programs? Because, yeah, I've been seeing what what will be part of the program, Mm. and it's very much a focus on equality of access and making it open and accessible to everyone. Is that correct? That's a theme. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have, as we work through, we're we're in a a specific phase in humanity at the moment, um, and especially in Aotearoa regarding um, learning equity and learning and and access in in this space. Mm -hmm. And I think we we just, we need to think about what, what we're charging, why we're charging, because, of course, there will be a cost um, associated but once again where, where are we headed to are we really looking and, and I'm, uh, I say this all the time but are we really looking at our system or are we making little bits of modular changes in, in, a, in a system that is really outdated mm-hmm. for our today and our tomorrow and tomorrow's tomorrow. Mm. So right now, Ako Totahi is about 
let's explore what's out there. Um, nothing is wrong. Let, let's explore all these things and all these learning opportunities out there for, for all our generations, mm-hmm. um, all stages of life for humanity, and um, every space. And let's, let's open those doors and, and let's, let's go through them together. Mm-hmm. So I think as we move forward into our, our learning days are, are coming up, which was May the 10th to uh, the, the 15th of, of May, which is in, uh, geez, uh, two weeks, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, we have some amazing, amazing uh, uh, people, presenters, thinking uh, and initiatives coming up in that space that, that I, I think a lot of people, not only in Ototahi, we have had uh, people giving us a call from uh, overseas uh, and also uh, from, from Auckland, Tamaki Makoto, Hamilton, Wellington, mm. um, down south. Hey, what are you guys doing over there? Mm. Um, we love your kaupapa. Can we do that? Why are you asking for permission from us? We're not an authority on this. We're just passionate people who believe that learning is um, is for everybody. Mm. So we just want to empower the learning space and mm. empower positive transformation in this space as well without um, peeing anybody off. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, um, empowering and cultivating uh, a changing world uh, and as an optimist by nature I look I, I will always see a, a utopia over a, a crap pole to, mm-hmm. to be honest this is just part of my, my makeup but we also have to create that together so part of the learning journey my hope and the ex and, and the exploration that we do as a um, as communities will also be towards our our direction mm. our vision uh, i i along with many of my my colleagues many of the people that i also look up to uh, my tuakana i i believe we lack vision it's been trial tried i know uh, by many in in aotearoa and also globally but I think we need to put a little bit more uh, engage in, in what a uh, what that vision might might look like for us, mm. so that we can we can look at the at at, at unifying and in, in that space mm. as a people. Mm. Mm. Well, it's really great to hear a bit of that um, because I think people will get a sense of the kapapa or the purpose behind what you're doing, and whether they listen to it between now and when the event is on or they listen to it in the future what we'll do is in the show notes we'll put some links to things and that way people will be able to find it because I presume some of it will be recorded and made accessible afterwards Um, yeah and uh, for me it's really interesting with young kids thinking about what they're learning I'm actually really happy with the programs and what my kids are learning but I'm also aware that they there's no class called resilience 101 you know (laughs) there's nothing about um you know encouraging people or mentorship Mm. or and yet these when you think about it as people get more senior these are the skills and the qualities that Mm. we look for and yet we we're not teaching it we're not we're not talking about it more openly Mm. we don't we don't talk about vulnerability in the way that we could Mm. and yet those are what if we look at a wise person Mm. a kamatua you, you look at them and you think Wow, there's a lot of years of experience there. Mm. What could they be teaching, you know, these young people? You know, I think back to the parables and our our stories that I'm I'm rereading and reimmersing myself in at the moment. And the lessons, the 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 human lessons in those stories, the um, the climate lessons, the the ecosystem lessons, mm. the katiakitanga, the leadership lessons mm-hmm. in, in those stories that we have. In indigenous cultures around the world, these stories are told by many with so many lessons and learning lessons in them mm-hmm. for not only for our tamariki but all of us. 
And I think about those stories that are also told in schools. You say that in in schools there's there's not a class or a module on um, self awareness um, in school. Perhaps the the introduction of more of those indigenous stories into those schools and into the the wider whanau and, and communities, maybe that can aid in more ways than one. Mm. One in bringing intergenerational learning to the fore, mm. ground, and also aid in um, the human lessons and have those discussions after the story is told. Mm. So what did Papa Tuanuku do with the da-da-da-da-da? Mm. You know, and... I, I look into the English culture and I look at all of those stories that are held high in regard and I look at the, the people um, lessons there. Uh, I, I believe we're not calling them soft skills these days. I think that trend is... Anyway, I, with our, our people skills, with our human factors, if we can pick those out, those lessons out, and have that caught at all, the Bible stories as well that I grew up with. My mum and dad are, are, are Christians, so I was raised in an environment where those stories, those parables, mm-hmm. and those stories were really prevalent. Daniel in the lion's den, mm-hmm. and I remember feeling, um, you know, when I'm I'm a young woman working, just learning how to pay pay bills, I felt like Daniel in the lion's den, mm-hmm. and. Those were human factor stories that I could relate to that gave me strength and empowerment to go, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to rock this like Daniel and move through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I always remember those Bible stories, mm-hmm. no matter what I did and, and moved into in my, in my teenage years and my young adulthood, those stories carried me. Mm-hmm. And the lessons in those stories carried me. And I can feel my mum and dad smiling back in, in their fuddy at the back <laughs> of us now. If they were here, they'd be smiling, listening to this. But and it's those stories are important, mm. and we don't tell them enough. Mm. I agree with you completely. And and to be honest, that's why this will be about episode 254 or so. Oh, choice. So <laughs> there's been a lot of stories that I've been trying to draw out of people and it's because I think we can learn from each other you know somebody can be listening to your story and picking out bits and pieces and applying it to their life as well Mm. and I agree with you what I've been reflecting on recently is the fact that we've just missed so much depth that we could have Mm. so for example if I'm asked to introduce myself and I say hello I'm Stephen Moe and I live in you know Christchurch and I'm a lawyer and da 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 as opposed to hello I'm Stephen Moe my mother was Marion Moe she was born in Panama Mm. she grew up with the Latin way of doing things and Mm. that has influenced who I've become today. Mm. The biggest lesson I had from my mother was to be curious about people and ask them questions. Mm. My father's name is Norman and he was born in California and he brought with him a desire to help people in third world countries and so he went in the Peace Corps. You know what I mean? Like In the West it's too often the individual and just Tell me, Stephen, what's your academic yeah. qualifications? What is your professional title? Yeah. That doesn't say anything. Yeah. And I think it's, but it's the grounding. And, but too often we're so focused on the individual and mm. we forget that we are the sum of the yeah. greater, you know, community. And sometimes I get frustrated when people are um, introduced and it's like a self-made millionaire you know a self-made billionaire you just think no no there was something that happened you got lucky (laughs) or you had somebody help you there's no way that anybody can just do it on their own and and yet we we pretend that that is the way it is you know like we just need to have a better conception I think I think so too and and as we move um back to the we from me Mm. we we are essentially moving from selfish to selfless. And, and in that landscape, uh, everything we do is, is about more than, more than us. Mm. It, it is about the whole. And the other thing is, I, I just I want to go back to what you're doing here, Stephen, is amazing. 
to be able to sit here and speak with people, to have the skill to draw out these stories and understand how these seeds and how many seeds are, are planted, only you would know, mm. irrespective of the number of 254. I think mm. there's always many seeds to a person because mm. um, that's dependent on their kaupapa. Mm. I think this is... This is absolutely amazing, and, and I'm hoping that you are commended for this work, this mahi. As I move through learning, and I'm now guest lecturing on the MBA at the University of Canterbury and, and doing a lot of things in the governance world, mm. I get to meet great people, a lot of great people all the time. But as we move through stories like these mm. and the many stories before us, and the many stories that will be our tomorrow and our tomorrow's tomorrow, these are the learning lessons that will aid humanity in moving forward together and mm. in, in, in hopefully in, in unity, which is really, which is really a, a lot of uh, mine and my, my colleagues, our whanau, our hapu, our iwi, that, that's our thinking. Mm. Moving forward in unity. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. No, I, I enjoy being able to talk with people and being able to hear these stories. And my hope is that they will last. You know, we don't talk about politics. We don't talk about sport. We don't talk about things that would date this recording so much. So it's more about the person and their journey. And then this will apply, you know, hopefully... 10 years, 20 years, we'll be able to listen back and, mm. and draw out some wisdom from what we talked about. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And we'll put some links to things in the show notes thank so you. people can click through. Um, we didn't even get a chance to talk about Christchurch NZ and oh. some other initiatives <laughs> that I know you're involved in. Um, but what we'll do is um, drop the links in the show notes. And um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. It was really fascinating hearing about your childhood. And thank you for your openness and sharing about your journey. And even, you know, leaving school, moving out at 14, you know, I think that helps to explain what you're doing today as well. You know, that attitude of learning is something that you had even at that young age. Mm. So it's a really, I love it when there's echoes in a person's life. You know, you can trace it back and see where did this come from. And yeah, big, um, you know, thinking of your parents. So at some point oh. I'll get a chance to meet them. But th it sounds like they had such a big influence on your life as well. So They really did. Yeah. And, and no, thank you for that. Uh, Stephen, this has been amazing, and I'm going to take you out the back before you go, and then you can have a, 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 a hongi and a cuddle with, with, with mum and dad. I think they'd be really keen to, to meet you. So thank you for that. Uh, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation. As you could tell, we covered many different topics, and I think the thing that really stood out to me was actually the legacy that her parents had had on her life. How often is it that we take time to mentor and guide young people and really encourage them in who they are and what they might become? If you enjoyed this, then check out some of the other episodes in the back catalog because there's more than 250 of those. Until next time. Mm -hmm.